0: It's June 15, 2016, and welcome to another edition of Bite Marks Cafe, where we serve you the first bite of today's tech and science. I'm Burt Lum. And I'm Ryan Ozawa. We're going to start off
1: with some news from Apple and the gaming industry. Then we're going to hear about a couple of local events of great interest. Bob Richmond is going to tell us about the International Coral Reef Symposium. Then Keith Higa is here from the Emergency Amateur Radio Club to tell us about the annual Ham Radio Field Day.
0: And finally, during our main segment, we'll find out about Hawaii's nascent aerospace industry. Joining us by phone are UH Hilo's Chancellor Don Straney and, of course, Jim Christofoli, the state's uh, director of the Office of Aerospace Development. And in the studio, we'll have State Senator Willis Sparrow and Pat Sullivan, president of Oceanit.
1: How well is Hawaii positioned to launch an aerospace industry? What will it take? We, of course, welcome your questions and comments. As part of that conversation, you can call us or tweet us after the break. First up, though, the Geek Beat is paying attention to tech announcements this week too. On the same day, in fact, we had Apple's Worldwide Developers Conference and the E3 Gaming Conference. Let's start with Apple first. What were you the most excited about, Bert?
0: Well, you know, I think the uh, the announcements for uh, the iOS 10 that mm-hmm. was a pretty compelling and. And I know you have a whole laundry list of things that you <laughs> like about iOS 10. I'll, I'll, I'll mention a couple things about Watch OS, but uh, what did you like about the uh, iOS, iOS 10? Well, there's a lot
1: happening with iOS. It's their biggest platform now, the iPhone and iPad. And certainly a lot of people who use Android phones will notice some of these revolutionary new features that they've already had. For uh-huh. example, widgets on the home screen with more rich information available at a, at just by picking up your phone. And certainly the ability to delete some of those apps that you can't delete after all these years. People are looking forward to that as well. The biggest news for iOS is messaging. They're basically taking cues, stealing ideas, if you, if you will, from Snapchat and WeChat and Facebook and just making it a lot more fun and whimsical. Giant emoticons and the ability to sketch or draw pictures, full-screen celebrations. It's a, it might be a little distracting if you're a lover of plain text like I that. I like yeah. the
0: idea that you can actually type something out or even write something out. And there if there are emojis for that word, you can actually pick uh, you can click on that word, and the emoji will come in. Right.
1: So if you typed Ryan, I want some pizza. Pizza yeah, gets pizza. highlighted. And if you tap it, you get a little picture of pizza. And what,
0: it's called emojification or emojify.
1: I'm not even <laughs> sure I want to get into that. So you and I are also Apple Watch users. Uh, yeah, what's I was
0: up? I was quite pleased with the uh, uh, the Watch iOS uh, Watch OS three because. One of the things that I think uh, they're going to feature on this uh, new uh, OS is the fact that the apps will actually launch a lot faster. Right now, it's That's trying to— That's a big deal. Yeah, you know, the the watch is actually trying to talk to the phone, and the phone's really running the app. But if more of the app can actually reside on the watch itself, it's going to it's gonna respond a lot faster. So the demonstration showed that it was almost instantaneous. That was pretty cool.
1: And there's going to be scribbles, so you can— Scribble. Um, yeah. You know, a lot of people say you can use Siri and say into your watch what you want to say. But Bert, if I wanted to tell you I love you, but I'm at work, that's kind of hard. So right. now I can write Just the words. Right. Yeah. I, you can send me your heartbeat too. That too. That could also express yeah. my my affection. But so a lot of fun things happening for the watch.
0: I like the uh, like the um, activity wheel. Activity wheel is pretty cool. And then the idea that you can actually for, for wheelchair chair bound I mean you can have an activity for that and, and instead of walking or running you know it's how much you are actually pumping that uh, wheelchair yeah I love I these little good. things yeah. I mean basically and, and breath I think that breath is a good one
1: well the watch tells you every hour to stand up that's yeah. not useful to someone in a wheelchair usually yeah. so very smart let's get to gaming okay, very quickly E3 E3 they have news from Sony Microsoft Nintendo the biggest news were really from the hardware side you had uh, Sony announcing their Playstation VR finally they are going to release their big face goggle for virtual reality. $399 in October. You had Xbox from Microsoft saying they're going to have a S version of the Xbox One. It's extra slim. Also $399 coming out in August. But most people were excited about their Project Scorpio. A lot of people thought that console gaming would die with the advent of mobile gaming. Mm -hmm. But nope, still going strong and they are now going to have a new one. They're calling it Project Scorpio. It is 4K video super high resolution, 8 cores processor and the Uh, 50 60 frames per second it's basically going to be photorealistic movies that are video games
0: yeah yeah it's going to be cool so anyway lots of stuff happening this week all these conferences uh, WWDC and E3 but now we want to welcome Bob Richman who is a research professor and of course director of the Kiwalo Marine Lab over at the University of Hawaii he's also the convener for the 13th International Coral Reef Symposium which is a Big deal. Welcome to the show, Bob.
2: Oh, thanks very much, Bert. Thanks for having me here.
0: Now, the last Coral Symposium was four years ago. Is that correct? I mean, it was in Australia.
2: Yeah, that's correct. So it's uh, every four years. It's the largest meeting of uh, coral reef um, people. Mm-hmm. So it started out as purely a scientific meeting um, and uh, started back in 1969. So this is 47 years uh, first time in Hawaii, and very likely the last time because of all the uh, competition.
0: Now, now, was there something special that uh, that attracted them to Hawaii? Did we have to? Did we have to compete with all these other cities to to have this uh, symposium here in Hawaii?
2: Yeah, um, there has been in the past, and uh, of late, when the meetings get as big as it is, not so many people jumping forward. But right. uh, it is competitive, and uh, there were a number of reasons why I chose to. I'll put in a bid for it. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it's great for Hawaii, for the people here, um, and also for all the delegates coming. We have uh, close to – we're over 2,400 scientists and managers, educators, and policymakers, as well as fishers and stakeholders from 97 nations coming. And part of it is to showcase some of the good things going on in Hawaii. Uh, we have some very good examples of community-based activities, uh, a lot of good things going on with our Division of Aquatic Resources in the Department of Land and Natural Resources. Um, Hawaii is known as a Center uh, for coral Reef Research at not only UH Manoa, but the other University of Hawaii campuses, uh, including the community colleges. Uh, but it's also a wake-up call for the people of Hawaii that our reefs are taking, definitely taking a hit. Um, Everything from land-based sources, runoff, sedimentation, to overfishing and, of course, climate change. We've seen some of the worst bleaching Mm -hmm. uh, in Mm -hmm. history um, on the reefs lately. So it's kind of looking at both sides. What can we show that's really working and uh, what can we show the community that we need to do? Um, But I'm very pleased that this is a very solution-oriented meeting. It's gone from... The days of uh, just identifying problems to now really focusing on solutions. Mm-hmm. Well
1: I love that you know very recently we had the, the an international astronomy organization have its meeting here and again Hawaii is in a leading role on that front and certainly in coral reef research it makes sense. 2,400 people is not a small conference for Hawaii. I mean a lot of people might think that coral reefs it seems like a relatively niche area of industry uh, interest but you've made a good case that it is actually of global interest uh, because of a number of the things that are tied to it. I was wondering if you could t- talk briefly for example that a A lot of people think of maybe coral reefs as certainly important to the environment, and we can talk a little bit about that, but it's also important to the economy. I mean, if we're talking about the health of Hawaii uh, in that front, um, the health of our coral reefs is not a small factor in that.
2: Oh, not at all. So just to throw out some numbers, um, uh, the estimated value of coral reefs to the Hawaii economy, the state economy, is about $36 million a year uh, with $34 billion worth of value. And that includes everything from coastal protection uh, against waves, that uh, people here love waves for surfing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but waves can wreak havoc in coastal areas. And the reefs are very important not only in creating the waves, but also in buffering the uh, amount of erosion that occurs as a result. Uh, the tourism industry obviously is very much ocean-driven here. And it's very important, too, to recognize the cultural value that um, the reefs are a very part, uh, important part of the culture of Hawaii, um, not just Hawaiian culture but Hawaii culture. And uh, it's interesting, too, that the uh, Hawaii creation chant, um, the kumulipo, actually identifies the coral polyp as the uh, uh, ultimate ancestor. Mm -hmm. It's the first uh, living organism that is identified in the uh, kumulipo. Yep. And it's actually neat that uh, it's not only about science. Um, It's also bringing together policymakers. We have three presidents that are going to be joining us. Uh, Two key themes of the meeting are, number one, uh, bridging science to policy. Um, Science to management's gone very well. Science to policy, not. Mm. And so what we've reached out to, President Romengasau from Palau is going to be our keynote speaker. We have President Christian from the Federated States of Micronesia and President Heine from the Marshall Islands are going to be joining us to help us figure out how to do a better job of bridging science to policy. And the other key element is moving from knowledge to action. Um, We need to stop talking about what we need to do and just start doing it. And that includes political will. But we've also engaged, uh, we have musicians, uh, we have uh, art, visual art, to recognize that it's not just about presenting uh, equations, facts, figures, and tables, but that both uh, uh, music and art. And even poetry can be very effective in communicating ideas to people who may not normally be quite as enthusiastic about reading a scientific mm-hmm. paper. You know, there seems to be
0: uh, more and more awareness of what's happening with our coral reefs. I mean, you know, we've talked to Ruth Gates. We talked to uh, Norton Chan from the Anuinui, uh, the, the coral nursery over there with, uh, I guess, Department of Aquatic Resources. And then there is definitely uh, an indicator in coral of something happening with our environment. And maybe you can tell us a little bit about what what you think uh, is the potential impact if we were to watch the decline of corals. I mean, is it not only tourism, but from a, from an ecosystem standpoint?
2: Oh, it's just devastating. Um, I began working on coral reefs back in 1974, and uh, in my worst nightmare, I never would have thought that they could go so far so fast. Uh, reefs that I began studying back in the Caribbean and the Virgin Islands are now maybe. Three to five percent coral cover when I was there was 80 Mm percent. I started working in Hawaii in 1979, and uh, the reefs—actually, we've gone through a couple cycles. For a while, Kaneohe Bay was in pretty bad shape because of the sewer outfall that went directly into the bay. When it was diverted outside, uh, the bay started to come back pretty well, and that's a good message of hope. that Mm -hmm. corals and coral reefs are resilient, that if you take away the insult, they can, in fact, come back. But um, these last couple of years have been particularly bad with the uh, bleaching events tied to climate Mm -hmm. change, and the last three years have been the worst, and this last year in particular, the worst uh, bleaching events that have ever been recorded. Mm -hmm. So we have a lot of challenges ahead, but what I want to emphasize is that this meeting is also a meeting of hope. Uh, that by pulling people together, uh, we also have a pretty good cross-section of the um, the local community. We have native Hawaiian cultural practitioners. Um, I'm a big fan of traditional ecological knowledge and recognize that many of the activities, even the way in which land uh, was treated here, ahupua'a, this kind of connection that goes from the mountains to the Mm -hmm. sea, has pretty much been ignored by Western policy where we have one federal agency or state agency that deals with the shoreline to the mountains, and another one from the shoreline to the sea, and that's nuts. You know, mm-hmm. it's something called gravity <laughs> and connectivity. So um, I'm very optimistic that uh, with pulling you know two thousand four hundred people together from a variety of backgrounds and perspectives by bringing policymakers together with scientists, teachers, communicators, artists, that we can really focus in on solutions. Yeah, I like
1: that you mentioned it's a solution oriented conference-, conference. What are some of the things that perhaps the public might be able to uh, to partake in as far as this conference goes?
2: Yeah, so we've really tried to reach out to the community, and we have three evenings Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday will be open to the community starting at about 6 30 in the evening. Um, the first night, Monday night, uh, the 20th, will be at the Alamana Hotel, and it's a sponsored event. Uh, there'll be lots of booths, there'll be information, there'll be presentations. Um, Tuesday and Wednesday night will be at the Hawaii Convention Center and in the large uh, area there. And again, we'll have a combination of speakers, including those from the Native Hawaiian community, talk from a cultural perspective as well as world-recognized scientists. And uh, Wednesday is going to be kind of a celebration of coral reefs. We have a musician from, of all places, um, Sweden, who mm. uh, came together with local Hawaiian musicians to come up with a new, um, a beautiful rendition called Kumulipo Dreams. Uh-huh. And it's trying to bring to go, uh, together culture that we don't want this to be a funeral for coral reefs. We want it to be a celebration. So Wednesday evening is open to the public, and it'll be truly a celebration of reefs. Mm-hmm.
0: Now, in terms of uh, follow-on to the symposium, I know in the circles that you run into, there will, there will be a lot of uh, follow-up work. But from a public standpoint, are there ways that the public can sort of keep track of what's going on in terms
2: of you know, the, uh, trying to save the coral reefs? Absolutely. Community engagement is essential. And again, that's one of the reasons why I decided to put in the bid. Um, It's not that I needed something else to do in my (laughs) spare time, but we really, really need to do a much better job in Hawaii. The way that we treat our reefs is abominable. Mm -hmm. Um, Taking a look at the runoff from Uh, The mountains to the sea, these concrete channels, people are used to seeing it after a rainstorm. The mud plumes can Mm -hmm, go out mm -hmm. um, half a mile to a mile or more. Um, We can do things so much better. And if we don't, you know, we're basically taking away the future from our children. So that um, we don't expect this to be a one-off meeting. Quite the opposite. We're hoping to kind of build momentum that from the activities that come out of this meeting, uh, we really want to continue engagement not only in Hawaii but throughout the Pacific region and internationally to really pull together because it takes a community Uh, to ensure that there are reefs for the future. So if people are
1: interested in finding out more about the conference, where should they go online?
2: Uh, The easiest way is to simply Google 13, we're the lucky number 13, (laughs) ICRS, which stands for International Coral Reef Symposium. So if you Google 13 ICRS, you'll get to the website and a lot of the other activities and uh, connections. Very Fantastic. We'll put that up on our show notes. Thanks, Bob, for joining us. Thank you. And, of course, uh, next up we want
0: to welcome Keith uh, Higa from The Emergency uh, Amateur Radio Club to tell us about the annual Amateur Radio Field Day. Keith, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me on.
1: Thank you very much. Now, as you uh, may know, Bert and I are proud hams. Probably we could use a little more practice with our ham radio licenses. (laughs) Oh, definitely. (laughs) But it's certainly an important part of communication, especially in times of emergency. Hence, the Emergency Amateur Radio Club. Now, Field Day isn't just something that happens in Hawaii, it's a global uh, exhibition, basically, correct?
3: Uh, yes, correct. It's actually the biggest event in the U.S. Uh, amateur radio calendar each year. It's organized by the American Radio Relay League. It's the uh, national organization for amateur radio that kind of looks after all the interests of all of us hams. And it um, it's also put on by the about 700 cl- uh, clubs that are affiliated with the ARRL who participate each year nationwide. And basically what happens at Field Day, it's a threefold event because it's basically it's part contest it's you have all the different groups that happen um, that gather each year and they all try to contact each other and this and they try to contact you know all all fifty states mm. and try to contact as many as they can in twenty four hours so that's and to get points for doing that okay the second thing that happens is it's also a uh, demonstration of uh, emergency uh, field ops. Mm -hmm. So that's why they kind of call it field day because what happens is they'll take the amateur radio equipment and they'll put it out, let's say, at a park or something. So they'll put up your portable antennas, tents with all the equipment, and then you'll see um, emergency power such as your generators, your solar panels, your batteries, and so on. So if you want to see what um, off-the-grid operation looks like. A uh, good mm-hmm. way to do that. And also, um, Field Day is basically the, the if amateur radio had an open house, uh, Field Day would probably be the closest thing that you would have to it. And it's basically our opportunity to get amateur radio in, in front of the public and try and you know get as many people involved as we can.
0: Well, you know, I, I, I like the fact that uh, the um, amateur radio uh, community has always been at the forefront of being pretty much off the grid because the whole idea is that if there was a situation where you didn't have power you know you didn't have the 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 things that we take for granted but you could still communicate and I think that's one of the things that the field day really helps to kind of test out and prove out because everybody basically brings all their equipment and goes out to Kualoa and sees if it all works.
3: That's correct. So, and and also, it also is practiced on trying to, uh, you know, communicate effectively here. Now, if you go to a field day, you're probably going to notice, and it's, it's, it's quite a sound to hear, you know, you'll tr- it, they're trying to communicate their in- information in probably the most succinct way possible <laughs> that is, is probably the best way that I that I can that I can put it so but yeah it's definitely trying to get the get the information out and and get it as as efficiently as as possible and mm-hmm. of course that takes practice and it's
1: certainly a good way to perhaps entice new hams my daughter has uh, come with me a few times and she almost started studying to take the test. I think that it's still not too late. And again, Bert and I both became uh, hams as well and really started to become more interested in the application of this kind of technology for emergency
0: preparedness. That's right. And of course, uh, you know, <clears throat> every Tuesday, like, you're on the uh, net running the sort of annual, I mean, not annual, but the nightly, weekly uh, uh, ro- roll call, I guess, for all the amateurs that want to participate. Oh uh, Yeah, that's correct. I do that
3: on um, Tuesday nights on the local... Um, uh, EARC repeater system. And actually it's a system now because we actually put, uh, quite a bit of, um, improvements into the system over the past year. Mm -hmm. Because before it used to be on the uh, diamond head repeater system or, um, so while it was pretty good for those, for people, uh, in the Honolulu area, maybe people, maybe further field with maybe just, a. 5-watt handy talk, you would have trouble getting mm-hmm. in. But now we have the uh, repeaters in the EARC system, like the one at Mauna Kapood over on Kapolei, uh, Olomano, and the Windward Side, and La'ie. We have them all Pretty linked together cover. now. So. so
0: so if anybody wants to participate, where, when, and uh, is this all taking place?
3: Okay. Okay, well, we're going to be doing it uh, as a joint event with the uh, Ko'olau Amateur Radio Club. It's going to be at uh, Kualoa Regional Park. Um, and the field day site is going to be open to the public on Saturday, June twenty fifth. That's uh, this coming the next 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 weekend actually, mm-hmm. um, from eight a.m. to uh, five p.m. and and over there, you know, we invite everybody to participate. Whether they're a veteran ham, whether they're a new ham who just got their license, whether they're um, Got, got their license, but haven't been active Ooh, on the air very who could that much. Be? <laughs> <laughs> so, where, where can
1: they go on the web to find more information about this event? Okay, well, they can go
3: on board to www.earchi.org and on the uh, Emergency Amateur Radio Club page, there's a link that says click here for field day info It gives all the information. Sounds all right.
0: Good. Thanks, Keith, for joining us. Thank you very
3: much. 73. And of 73.
0: course, wow, you remember. <laughs> we'll take a short break, and when we return, we'll be joined by Senator Willis Sparrow. And Pat Sullivan in the studio and by phone, of course, Chancellor Don Straney and Jim Christofoli to talk about Hawaii's aerospace industry.
1: What will it take to sustain and grow an aerospace industry in the Aloha State? Of course, we'd love your questions. As part of that conversation, you can call 941-3689 or reach us toll free from the neighbor islands at
4: 877-941-3689.
0: And of course, you can tweet us your questions at BiteMarks Marks or at Hawaii. This is Bite Marks Cafe.
4: For the first time, Kuana Torres Kahele and various hula halau will be performing the new music he has created for the Hawaiian Islands across two back-to-back concerts. This year's HPR Palikou Theater event on August 7th gives you the choice of an afternoon or an evening performance, or choose both and enjoy a mini luau between shows. Please go to events on hawaiipublicradio.org for more. Kuana Torres Kahele, August 7th at the Palikou Theater. It's been a long campaign.
5: The 2016
6: presidential race is now underway. Out of 16 candidates. Jeb Bush.
4: Bush, Chris Christie. John Kasich. Rand Paul. Total
7: and complete shutdown of Muslims entering the United States.
4: Don't you someday want to see a woman president of the United States? And we will not accept a rigged economy.
7: And there's more to come. We're going to help you keep up and make sense of things from now
4: until November. Listen every day. Weekdays at noon. Support for Byte Marks Cafe comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk show programming. Mahalo to contributors Nohea Gallery and Kaiser Permanente. Welcome back to Bite Marks Cafe. I'm Bert Lum. And I'm Ran Ozawa. And
0: joining us today are Senator Willis Sparrow and Pat Sullivan in the studio. And of course, by phone, we got Chancellor Don Straney and Jim Christofulli. Senator Sparrow represents District 19 over there at uh, Eva Beach, and of course, uh, co chairs the Hawaii Aerospace Caucus. And Pat Sullivan is the uh, CEO and founder of Oceanit, one of our favorite uh, tech companies, and, of course, uh, is part of the Hawaii Aerospace Advisory Committee.
1: Jim Christofulli is the director of the Office of Aerospace Development. As we mentioned, we soon hope to speak to as well Don Straney, the chancellor over at the University of Hawaii at Hilo.
0: Of course, we want to find out what is the secret ingredients to building an aerospace industry here in Hawaii, and, of course, what are the challenges that that uh, that might face we would love to hear your questions and comments and of course that number to call is 941-3689 on Oahu or 877-941-3689 from the neighbor islands. We want to welcome you all to Bite Marks Cafe.
5: Aloha. Great aloha, to be here.
6: good afternoon. Uh, aloha. Hey, well, Jim.
0: Well, Jim, you know, let's uh, let's start with you and I I want you to give us a kind of a quick uh Overview of where we are at with in terms of what is the what is this aerospace industry and and what are we what are we talking about in terms of uh, what actually would comprise that aerospace industry?
7: Well, uh, we the legislature through it, the vision that was established uh, largely by Senator Sparrow uh, back in 2007, created this Office of Aerospace Development uh, to serve as a focal point within state government to facilitate dialogue and coordination among Hawaii's government, private, and academic sectors, and between state-based agencies and overseas organizations, both public and private, to promote the growth and diversification of our aerospace industry. Our strategic mid-Pacific location, our moon Mars-like terrain, resident expertise, covering a broad range of aerospace-related technologies, and long-standing ties with space-faring nations throughout the Asia-Pacific region Clearly, afford strategic assets and capabilities that can be leveraged to realize humanity's full potential in space, and in so doing, enable our state to engage as both a major contributor to and beneficiary of the global space enterprise. As, as a potential growth industry for our state, it builds on existing infrastructure we have that's being developed in many sectors, it advances scientific research, helps pioneer STEM education, science, technology, engineering, and math and training, catalyzes technology innovation, huge returns for relatively modest investments, and most important, it won't be exported as it matures. We've had many uh, enterprising companies come to Hawaii, go to the uh, uh, naturing centers here and at at the high-tech parks and so forth, develop technologies, but then leave because we don't have the economies of scale to help them develop to their full potential. But what we have here are moon-Mars-like terrain, mid-Pacific location, great for space launch, international connectivity. You can't export that. And that's what makes this industry so strategic for Hawaii.
0: Well, very good, very good. And, of course, uh, Senator Sparrow, I mean, there have been multiple, uh, uh, let's say, bills introduced. And I think there was... Uh, a pretty strong interest at the beginning of this past session to see some aerospace bills get, you know, get passed through legislation. Maybe you can tell us a little bit about what kind of happened this past session and what, was, you know, what, what successes, what failures did we have?
6: Well, in terms of the legislative session, uh, we really didn't pass anything of significance. Uh, many of us were hopeful about a measure to create a small satellite launch industry. Mm-hmm. And, and this is an area that has promise for Hawaii, and, and I know that um, I'll be introducing another bill next session. Um, however, uh, the bill didn't pass, and, and that's not unusual. Sometimes it is important that we do uh, um, begin a discussion. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then there was another bill to um, sort of restructure PISCES, Pacific International Space Center for Exploration Systems, which is a program we have on the Big Island, uh, which is about uh, developing a space exploration um, industry on the Big Island, uh, especially since, as Jim mentioned, um, that is the most unique feature in the world here on the Big Island, that looks like the moon mm. and the lunar landscape. So right, you could right. do a lot of testing up there with ro- robots and, and and other situations. As a matter of fact, UH has a program on the Big Island that Kim Binstead mm-hmm. is yes. in charge I of. Yes, high seas Right. high seas exactly, where she's having individuals go into this... Uh, habitat space-like habitat yeah. where they pretend they're in astronauts outer space, great. astronauts uh-huh. living for three months, six months, one year, learning about psychology, nutrition. So we are in some areas already where we're making progress. But what we want to do is create an industry that can create jobs. That's what um, um, Dr. Sullivan and I were talking about earlier, creating jobs. So... Um, s- Things like Space Term is um, going to be on the horizon and being chosen as one of the six FAA regional um, UAS test sites mm-hmm. is going to be significant because we'll be able to work with businesses, nonprofits, and even countries On testing unmanned aerial systems um, uh, within our islands. Uh, And of course what's most unique about us is we're surrounded by water, so there's a lot of possibilities in terms of um, not a a factor in terms of hurting our population. It's safe around the ocean, basically. Mm
1: -hmm. Well, certainly we are huge fans of Kim's work with high uh, seas and talk to them as often as you can to get updates. They're in the middle of their year-long habitation and certainly uh, drones are Also a very common topic here, but it is true that all of these are part of the aerospace industry. I do want to hear from Pat in a bit about the private sector and perhaps the potential for job creation. But I did want to bring in Don Straney. He's the chancellor at UH Hilo, and uh, where my daughter will be going in uh, August to study. Um, Don, um, we've heard a lot about the Big Island, and. You know, uh, Jim also mentioned the STEM side, the education side. Can you share with us a little bit about UH Hilo's hand in the development of aerospace research and technology?
8: Sure. Uh, I think the most direct thing that we're looking to do right now is to develop an undergraduate major in aviation science that would allow students to get into aerospace as as pilots. Um, For many, that's... uh, um, entry point that can lead in a lot of directions. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it's uh, an industry that's going to require an increasing number of pilots uh, in the future. The the projections suggest that uh, if we can train them, there'll be jobs waiting for them. Mm -hmm. Um, We're also involving students in some of the aerospace research that's going on. The um, November launch of a um, small satellite, uh, barking sands, mm-hmm. involved uh, students from across the whole system in designing and, and constructing a real satellite. Um, and it led to the creation of tracking stations at some, several of the uh, community colleges. So we we have students now throughout the system who are hands-on working in the aerospace
1: sector. And the senator mentioned um, UAVs. There's a a SDAV UAV Lab, I think, over at UHUL as well. So you are working in that space?
8: That's right. We uh, were able to get permission from the FAA to use UAVs in research settings. And uh, that came at a really good time because it was just about the same time that the Pahoa lava flow started. And so we were able to to use the certificates that we had to work with civil defense to help track the flow of the lava as it came down and learned quite a bit about what you can learn with an unmanned uh, aerial system uh, that you can't do if you have to walk through the forest and, and do things on the ground. Right. Um, so, again, being able to train people to use this technology that I think is going to create a whole new industry sector here um, in the near future. Mm -hmm.
0: Very good. Now, uh, Pat, from the commercial sector standpoint, uh, what what do you see as perhaps the opportunity? I mean, you've been very much at the forefront of a lot of different industries uh, here uh, in in technology. And uh, as, as Senator Sparrow had mentioned, you know, Kim Binstead's doing the uh, high seas, and I think that was a, a, a that is a project that is a public private partnership. I mean, I think Hank Rogers has put some money into uh, building that habitat. Uh, Pat, what do you see as being some of the opportunities that that this aerospace industry might might present itself?
5: Well, it's it's huge. It's hard to know where to start, but it's a growth area. We've been in space for twenty five years. At Oceanet. Mm -hmm. We're the first in the world to do sub arc second accuracy with small optics connected through the internet to track space 24 7. And and that was really in collaboration with the military. But when you look at what's happening now, space has been driven by the military, by NASA, and you're at a point in history where the commercial sector is weighing in in a very big way. There's um, been a variety of conferences and exercises. Uh, with investor investors investment capital, I think there's another conference coming up in San Francisco. There's one coming up in Colorado springs and everything in space is kind of up for grabs. so you gotta step way back and and ask some really fundamental questions about how does it, does it impact humans and society, and that'll drive investment so start with tourism. There's a group right now in Houston that's looking at building a hotel in space in collaboration with a space station. Uh, why is that? Well, because there's interest in going up there, and once you get up there, people want to hang out like they do when they go to a hotel. So they're trying to understand what that means. But then you've got other things like propulsion. So if you followed what's been going on in, uh, uh, recently with Department of Defense, we're trying to wean ourselves off of Russian engines. Mm. Uh, Elon Musk is pushing his own version of an engine, at the same time, there's huge breakthroughs in um, all kinds of things on propulsion. So for example, we're involved with uh, nano-energetics that can make solid rocket propulsion out of particles that you can actually dial on one particle at a time. So you're able to control combustion at a very high efficiency. And that changes fundamentally the concept of how you do this. But then you look at materials. The area of materials is the Wild West. It's going gangbusters. So. Right now, we still put people in space the way we did with monkeys 50 years ago. Not a whole lot has changed. It's changing now. And the change is going to be profound because it's going to have a huge impact, not just on getting into space, but, but transportation around the planet. So what you're going to do is you're going to leave Honolulu, you're going to go exo-atmospheric, and you're going to come down in Houston in maybe uh, you know, 45 minutes, kind of like going to the Big Island. Mm. That's where transportation's going Now, to make that happen, you've got to create new classes of materials. Mm -hmm. So we've been involved in a program uh, where we've been working on a thing called unobtainium. It's a material that doesn't exist. But the idea is instead of saying, I'm building a house, so uh, down the street's a hardware store. I live in Kailua. There's uh, True Value down the street. Um, They've got lumber. So the only thing I think about is lumber. But what if you turn it around and say, I don't have to use lumber, I can make anything I want. What would I want to make the house that I'd like, the house that I need? Same thing with space. They use materials now that are available that they've been using for a long time, a lot of aluminum and other kinds of things, but what if you don't need that? You change the value proposition, cost cost calculations for space. What that means then is that instead of $10,000 a pound, maybe I can do it for 100 bucks a pound, or $10 a pound, something that's totally different. Um, same thing with materials that can go up and down you know, through the mechanical and thermal stresses and all those kinds of things. We're working on a, on a scalable manufacturing process right now called Shockwave Consolidated Materials where you can basically dial in. A, they're non-Earthbound materials, but you can imagine a material and actually build it. We're working on the scalability issue. It changes fundamentally mm-hmm. how you even think of space. And I can go on and on. last thing I wanted to bring (laughs) up, which is huge, is global broadband. We use radio, like Hawaii Public Radio, the same way we did back in the early part of the 19th century. Mm -hmm. I mean, black and white television, AM, FM, radio is how we regulate. It's how we do things. What's going on right now as we speak – They're blowing up spectrum. They're going to recast it. And there's a thing going on around the country. We're involved in this on new technology that will basically create gigabit connectivity for everybody in the U.S. because it's a massive economic driver. Simultaneously, what it does, it creates opportunity for broadband connectivity around the entire planet. All that is sustained through what's going on in space. So we've actually created a global broadband technology By the way, all this stuff is invented in Hawaii. The key thing for the space industry is educated people. The university plays a huge role in that. And imagination. You need people that are willing to imagine something and actually apply their education and make it, build it. And that's really what's going on. So this global broadband that we've been working on was all developed here, this Mm. particular version of it. We're looking at trying to do some small-scale demonstrations Eventually, we've worked on K-Sat-com, Ksatcom, um scenarios, which is where we think it becomes very cost effective. It's not about geography. It's, it's about educated people and imagination.
0: Well, you Makes know, sense. I do want to kind of explore how you can envision the work that you do being uh, somewhat, let's say, dependent on the aerospace industry happening here because it sounds like what you are inventing and discovering could be applicable in an industry that occurs anywhere, right? But, but before we do that, I, wanna, I do want to do give the chance to one of our callers, or uh, uh, Dean from Kaneohe, uh, and and want to give him a chance to ask a question. Welcome to Bite Marks Cafe.
4: Oh, great show. Interesting topic. Um yeah I just wanted to ask a brief question a couple of questions and then I'll just take the answers off the air um, is there you know how close are you know is the program or these efforts um, to attracting um, you know collaborators uh, like uh, commercial you know established commercial firms like Lockheed or Boeing or maybe even SpaceX uh, or maybe even uh, academic collaborators um, to you know to support it um, and also, uh, again, I, I heard the, I guess, the, uh, the gentleman from Chilo explaining you know, what, I guess, what's compelling about Hawaii. But is it really, um, are there any other real co- um, compelling uh, uh, circumstances or an environment here in Hawaii that, that would attract this? Uh, so it can actually be commercialized. Okay, okay, I'll take your my the answers and comments off the air. Thank you. Okay,
0: Fantastic. great, uh, great questions. And uh, maybe the for the collaborators, uh, Will, do you want to tackle that one? I mean, who do you see as potential collaborators? Are there are, are, are we able to attract the the Boeings and the Lockheed's and the you know the companies like that? That oh, like?
6: certainly. As a matter of fact, many of those companies are already here, and you have to understand, you know, at a corporate level. Uh, people know what's going on in their industry. They're projecting forward. They're looking for the next opportunity for them. And uh, the areas that I talked about, for example, the spaceport license and space tourism, we should get that permit by next year, uh, which could see space tourism within three to five years. The UAS, we're already an FAA test site, Uh, We should be aggressively, and I use that term seriously, aggressively talking to governments, talking to business, the private sector, you know, many industries and see what can we do to test product services here in Hawaii since we have that capability. Mm -hmm. And I know people who have actually built and designed unmanned aerial systems, and, and maybe if you can expand on UAS, you might be able to, to possibly manufacture and, again, be a part of that niche market. Um, robotics is gaining in popularity every year in our elementary schools, middle schools, um, high schools, college. Uh, we can become a center of excellence in engineering, robotics, technology. Especially when you have the military right next door, and that just adds not only now the commercial sector, but you have military applications, and then you have nonprofits or governments such as you know emer- emergency preparedness, search and rescue, and those type of ways that um, UAS will benefit. So, I mean, there are so many opportunities, and as when you hear. Dr. Sullivan talk and what he's doing and what he's involved in, you know, Hawaii is so fortunate and lucky to have a CEO and an individual like this in our state. You know, he's, he's, he's put Hawaii on the map and there's no reason why we can't expand on that. No, that's, that's literally literally excuse the sky's the limit. Pardon the pun.
0: Yeah, no, no, I, I totally agree. Now the second half to that question, I do want to get to, to that. Live up too. <laughs> <laughs> and and the 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 um, the, the caller uh, Dean wanted to ask, you know, what exactly does Hawaii uh, stand up against all the other potential locations for this industry? But we want to hold that thought. We'll be right back after the short break to continue our conversation with Senator Willis Sparrow. Dr. Pat Sullivan, and, of course, by phone, Chancellor Don Straney and Jim Cristofoli about Hawaii's burgeoning aerospace industry.
1: Thank you for listening to Bite Marks Cafe. You can give us a call at 941-3689 or reach us from the neighbor island at
4: 877-941-3689. Stock buybacks. Sounds simple, sounds easy and profitable. Not always. Sure, it would have been much better for us and, frankly, our shareholders had we not returned the money via a share repurchase. I'm Kai Rizdal. our series "The Price of Profits, next time on Marketplace. This evening at 6, following Bite Marks Cafe. The Department of Housing and Urban Development says they need them. Hawaii's outreach workers continue to say they want them. But are the calls for housing units to put permanent roofs over homeless heads reaching the right ears? Looking for landlords tomorrow morning at 8 on The Conversation. Support for Bite Marks Cafe comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk show programming. Mahalo to contributors Straub Clinic and Hospital and Gourmet Events Hawaii.
0: Welcome
1: back. This is Bite Marks Cafe. I'm Bert Lum. And I'm Ryan Ozal. And we're talking to Senator Willis Sparrow and Pat Sullivan from Oceanit. And by phone from the Big Island, Chancellor Don Straney from UH Hilo and Jim Christofoulis. We're talking about. Building an aerospace industry in Hawaii,
0: and of course, right before the break, we had a couple of questions, and the one that we want to uh, get answered, and maybe Jim, you are you still there? Uh, I'll sure we'll give am. you a chance to answer this question, and, and I'll give you a, a minute to answer it. Uh, the <laughs> the question is, what makes Hawaii special for this industry?
7: Yeah, I mean, we have several things that I think I partially mentioned before: our mid-Pacific location. Being close to the equator, surrounded by water, makes us an excellent uh, location to do commercial space launch. Our moon Mars-like terrain on Mauna Kea, Mauna Loa, for testing and evaluating new robotic and other technologies that can be applied to extend not only robots but humans beyond the Earth in a sustainable fashion. Um, We have created a Hawaii Aerospace Advisory Committee, and on that committee we have Boeing and uh, Lockheed Martin, uh BAE Systems and other major aerospace corporations represented as well as all the economic development boards in the state and the idea of this committee is to help focus our strategic assets with the international demand to sort of basically match supply and demand to move us forward I just wanted to quickly mention that we're working on two things right now which will help uh, underpin all of these uh, approaches and arguments the first is a strategic development plan for aerospace which was requested And through H.R. 26 in this last session, that's going to be produced by this fall. That will basically lay out a a roadmap for uh, expanding and diversifying this industry statewide. The second is an aerospace in Hawaii week, which we're going to be holding at the state capitol Mm. week-long, first week in October. We're going to have an aerospace summit in the capitol auditorium with key speakers from uh, major aerospace corporations Conveying the message primarily, you know, if we build it, they will come. And what we need to build to help grow this industry here. We'll also have a series of exhibits surrounding that auditorium. It'll be up for a week. The public's invited. And I can provide more details on that later. For sure. We'll probably talk
1: about that as it's coming up. So, um, Pat, you know, if we build it, they will come. And and certainly place is important. But I also remember when we were talking about the tech industry 20 years ago was well, mid-Pacific location, transiting time zones, that'll make it, and that's special. But, you know, sometimes location isn't everything, correct?
5: Yeah. I think in a world where everything is connected, the most valuable thing we have, and the thing that we overlook unfortunately all the time, is the people. We find that Hawaii has amazing people. The host culture is a great environment for innovation. Ideas come from difference, not sameness. Give you an interesting thing we learned. So we we were asked, an Ocean at Center team, I went to the Johnson Space Center, we spent two days talking to everybody at the Johnson Space Center in Houston. And it was really interesting because every time we brought up something to potentially change or adjust what they were trying to do, what they were thinking, we were told it won't work, can't happen. We've already done it, already thought about it. NASA has hosted at the Johnson Space Center is like a museum, and it's a great museum to see. You should go and visit it because putting a man on the moon was no little thing. Mm-hmm. They became kind of a bus company after that, and a lot of their research became stale. So if you look at the age of an, the average age of an aerospace engineer today, they're probably about 57 years old. Now, on the way home that night, actually that next that that evening, I was watching a 60-minute special, and it turns out... Um, when we put a man on the moon, the average age of an engineer was about 26. People didn't know what they couldn't do, and they just did it. And on the, when I was, uh, we got back to Honolulu on 60 Minutes, they, they interviewed um, Elon Musk's group, this a couple of years ago, before they actually could do the launches. It looked like a bunch of 20 something year old kids who had this idea that they're gonna build a space business. It wasn't Boeing, wasn't Lockheed, wasn't Raytheon, was a startup. Now, sure, there's financing. There's all kinds of issues. But the audacity that they could do that was quite contrary. I say that because, you know, we've got really bright people. Every summer we have an intern program, mostly local kids, generally uh, in college or grad school. These kids are awesome. At the end of the summer we do an innovation challenge, and uh, we ask them to do something to make the world better. They do five minutes of five slides, five Q&A, they're amazing. Um, there's no problem with the kids. There's a, there's a challenge with our belief in them going forward. Mm. But in terms of how we build an industry, it's with the people. It's, you can make anything anywhere. You've got 3D printers that'll do plastic, metal, and exotic materials. You can build propulsion systems. You can do navigation. You can do, you can do pretty much everything you can imagine that's needed can be done. What's needed is imagination. Now, now um, Don, at UH Hilo, you are sitting with that
1: next generation of potential engineers, creative thinkers, different industries, different approaches. Uh, indigenous knowledge is certainly something that we've talked quite a bit about and I know is applied quite a bit at UH Hilo. So, you know, uh, Pat is talking about a- a- audacious ideas and having imagination. Um, what? Are, how optimistic are you that uh, at UH Hilo and in Hawaii education in general, STEM education in general, that we can produce that talent?
8: Oh, I'm um, completely certain that we'll be able to do it. Um, and it's what gives me the best job in Hawaii. I'm, I'm, I spend all the day around uh, students who are uh, actively uh, seeking out a future that they want to create. Um, I think our ability, not just at Hilo, but at UH and universities across the country, uh to give students the tools they need to solve problems and take risks. I mean, I would add risk-taking to Pat's uh, good ideas and people list, uh, something that we need. And, you know, everyone on Hawaii took a risk to get here. We didn't appear here by accident. And I think that gives us Mm -hmm. uh, an edge when it comes to uh, creating new things and, and taking things the next step.
0: Yeah, very good. Now, um, uh, Will, um, you know, in terms of preparing for what might happen in the next session, I mean, I'd like to hear what we could do as a community to perhaps participate in helping push this initi- initiative along. I mean, you have some ideas you want to share with the community in terms of how can we help move this? Well, allow me
6: to, to go on a slight tangent in that Uh, There's an industry that's directly connected to aerospace and space exploration, and it's called astronomy. Mm -hmm. And right now, there's a major issue going on with the TMT on the Big Island. And this year, we need to rally the aerospace industry, the astronomy industry, academia, those who support the TMT, we need to do what we can to make certain that that project moves forward and is approved and built. That's a major investment, and I see the um Pat wants to Well, add I was just going to gonna
5: say the other thing is bring Native Hawaiians into the conversation. This is part of their heritage. Space is what got them here, understanding the stars. It's part of what makes Hawaii Hawaii. It's not a separate thing, and I think you know, we we sort of take it almost for granted that they're, they're not, but they are. It's actually part of them, and creating that opportunity. I think um, you look at um, Kamehameha schools. We've talked about it uh, uh, with them, actually, because one of the key things we do very well in Hawaii, and Native Hawaiians are great at, is working with humans and people. They've got great people skills in general. Match that up with astronomy, sciences, and other things. Now you can move mountains. And I think it's something that, you know, we need to embrace and how to bring that into the conversation because I think that's how it's actually going to happen.
0: How do you see bringing that into the conversation? I think part of the problem is that these communities that you're you're referring to, whether it's the the tech industry or the the Native Hawaiian industry community, they – haven't had opportunities to come together even in our earlier conversation with uh with uh, uh, Bob Richmond about corals I mean you know you have the people that are planning for the land and you have the people that are planning for the ocean and unless those people talk together, they don't see the integrated solution absolutely
5: How do we get there? and it it takes an entire community to build an industry and that means the, the You know, everybody from the keikis to the legislators to the attorneys to physicians and bakers and, you know, it's a community that's going to do it. And so creating space for the community is important in recognizing that they're part of that conversation. It won't happen in a vacuum. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We need all kinds of people to do this. And, you know, getting a, a inspirational leadership can come from all kinds of mm. sectors. But it's there. I mean – you know, look at what's going on with Hokulea right now. The fact that they made it to New York, I thought, was profound. I mean, it's a statement. And, yeah, you could say, well, it's just a canoe. It's not. It's more than that. It's a, it's a metaphor. And I think it's an interesting metaphor for the state to consider because a lot of technology went into building that. And, and they demonstrated the ability to use that. Mm. Now what we need to do is, is build that next generation of technology.
1: Now, Jim, you know you've been working on this and, and advancing this and encouraging it for decades. Um, do you share a same optimism? I mean, certainly there's always a struggle for funding, for awareness, for more partnerships. Um, is now better than it's ever been for putting something like this together?
7: Sure, I think the time is uh, the time is now. The time was yesterday, actually, but uh, there are many opportunities to engage uh, the next generation of scientists, engineers, and entrepreneurs in Hawaii. That will lead us to the future. Uh, and there are many programs out there that we're trying to promote that do that. I'll just mention one in particular. There's something called the Real World Design Challenge. It's a national program that we actually helped create uh, back in, uh, oh, almost about 10 years ago. And it involves uh, students in high school and you give them a practical problem to that involves technology that they have to solve. And uh, they first compete at the state level, and then uh, the state winner goes on to compete at the national level. Well, we created this position, I think the first year was 2008, and we had 16 teams from all over the state, kids from private schools, public schools, all four uh, major uh, components in Hawaii, all all major islands. Uh, And uh, the winner in this state was an all-girls team Hmm. from Iolani School. And then they went on to compete in the national competition. And I didn't go with them back to Washington then, but I remember a friend of mine called me up who had a cell phone who was in the Air and Space Museum in Washington where the final finalists were being held. And uh, he held up the phone, and they had just announced the second-place winners nationally. And the first-place winner the very first year was this all-girls team from Yelani School. They have the right stuff. We have the right stuff and pat was hitting a lot of nails on the head there you know the explorers that came and settled in hawaii uh had a vision uh, to expand and reach beyond and if you look at mauna kea it is supposed to be a lint linchpin with with the cosmos with the heavens and that's what the telescopes on top of mauna kea are also trying to do there are tremendous synergies that bridge the traditional hawaiian cultures with the more modern technological cultures and if we can emphasize those synergies and moving forward, will have tremendous resonance that can move the state forward. And I think right now it really rests with the next generation of scientists, engineers, and entrepreneurs that we're working with right now to inspire leadership in the
0: future. Okay. Well, well, well said. Well said, Jim. And, and Will, you know, you said earlier that there were some key things that we could build upon. I mean, what shall we, can we focus on that will help us leap into this sort of future of aerospace?
6: Well, there are many. Uh, we need to definitely educate our, our population, even our lawmakers, and the administration. Um, it, it's key that our state government provide a certain degree and level of support. Um, it's going to be uh, business people like Pat who drive the industry and who, who do most of the investment but we need to make it as easy as possible for them and give them the support that they need. And uh, when we do this, you know, I have no doubt that uh, we're really at the beginning of some golden years in aerospace and aviation and building a niche industry that can employ um, many of our residents and benefit our economy. And that's really what the future is all about, the quality of life. And the type of jobs and the opportunities that our future generations are going to have.
0: Well, very good. And of course, uh, Willis Sparrow is the co-chair of the Aerospace Caucus over at the uh, the Legislature. And of course, Pat Sullivan is the CEO and founder of Oceanit. Don Straney is the Chancellor over at UH Hilo. And of course, Jim Christopher is the Director of the Office of Aerospace Development. We want to thank you all for joining us today.
1: Thank you. Thank you. Mahalo. Thank you. Thanks. And thank you for listening to Bite Marks Cafe. You can join us next week when we're going to talk about leveraging tech to get a start in the music business.
0: Of course, if you miss any part of this edition, you can find the podcast of tonight's show on bitemarkscafe.org. And if you have any comments or suggestions, email us at feedback at org. And, of course, you can always find me on Twitter. I'm at Bite marks, And you can follow me at Hawaii.
1: Our engineer is David Chong, and our executive producer is Beth Ann Kozlovich.
0: And we leave you with our song pick of the week. Here is a band called The Blessed Isles and a song called Confession. See you next week on another edition of Bite Marks Cafe.